I guess so. All right. So if you have a bullet in there, we got the. Since there's nobody to run the slides, we will we will go sans slide today. I do have them. If anybody wants them, I can post them with the video. I'll post them on the on the link with the video on the fa on Facebook. I can email them too if anybody actually wants them. <clears throat> um, but the uh, psalm reading is from 125 verses one and two for today because we're talking about traveling again. We are journeying with Abram and his family and friends. So that's what this is about this week: traveling companions and how uh, how we're to deal with them somewhat. So this is what the psalmist says in 125 verses 1 and 2, though. It says, Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. It cannot be shaken. It remains forever. The mountains surround Jerusalem, and the Lord surrounds His people both now and forever. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for being, for surrounding us and protecting us as we uh, are in our lives here on this earth. And we know that... Uh, as the psalmist says, if we put our trust in you, then, then our, our foundation is unshaken, that you are a firm foundation that we stand on. So as we are going through life, please let us keep remembering to follow you, that, uh, that it takes effort to do so. It, uh, it, may, it may be easier to go off. We may be fooled and tricked by things that are, look nicer somewhere else, but we know to follow you through the desert or, or the lush gardens. And uh, please help us do that this week as we are living our lives. And so all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we're going to jump right into the sermon. So we're in Genesis 13 today. Um, and again, this is called, I called this one Traveling Companions because now we have a few more people kind of lumped in. And this is where Lot, Lot's been mentioned already, but he's going to get pulled into the story. And so this is the first of... Of a trilogy is what one commentator calls it. Is a trilogy of you know there's three different stories with Lot concerning Lot and, and Abram. So this is the first part. So this is sort of the introduction. It also sets up the other two stories. And so we are here on this earth. We are traveling with people. But how many of you guys have really traveled with other people before? Maybe you know with your family or friends. You know how did it turn out? You know, was it good? Was it good road trips or good good plane trips or anything like that? Or was it, you know, you, you have that one point maybe in, in the trip where it's like, okay, you know, we either need to all go together or we just go do our separate things, you know, depending on what everyone wants to do, depending on where you're at. You know, it's not always easy traveling with friends. My, uh, my friend and I, we were in Korea. We were trying to get to Hawaii. So we flew from Korea to Japan on a hop. It's a free, free plane rides. And then we had four, yeah, I think we had four flights get canceled from Japan to Hawaii. They, they were just, the planes broke or whatever it was. So we just decided to stay in Tokyo. We went to Tokyo for like a couple of days. Then we flew back to Korea. And it was fun, but it was nice. But we had to figure out like, what are we doing? You know, where are we going to stay? Because we were kind of ad-libbing a lot of stuff. We were like, all right, we just need to, and we were trying to do it on a budget because we were poor and we were broke airmen. So we didn't have a lot of money. But it was fun. But again, there's some challenges to that. Like, well, let's go over here. I want to do this. Well, I want to see that. And so, you know, there's some give and take with things like that. But, but it turned out well. But then again, we're, we're, well, we didn't have a lot of plans. So we just kind of just went with it anyway. Right? We were flexible. But sometimes people get in their mind. They want to do something. And it gets harder. Right? So when we're doing these things, when we're dealing with people, we have to deal with, with people. Because on this earth, we are all traveling companions together. 
we're all traveling this earth together. So, so if you look at your outline there on the back, right? First, we got to be generous with the traveling companions. We need to be peaceful with them as well, and we also need to be careful on who we're traveling with. Right? We need to be careful who we let into our group, who our club, because and what we're doing and what they're we're letting them how they're how we're letting them lead us sometimes, and maybe even how we're leading other people. All right, so we're going to go ahead and jump into Genesis 13, verses 1 through 5. We'll read it, and then we'll go through the rest of the text as we go through. And so the text says, Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, he, his wife, and all he had, and Lot with him. Abram was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. He went by stages from the Negev to Bethel, to the place where, between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had formerly been, to the site where he had built the altar. And Abram called on the name of the Lord there. All right, so we have this situation to recap in chapter 12 where, where Abram is, goes to Egypt because of the famine. He lies. Well, he tells a half-truth, really. He tells a half-truth about Sarah. And so he does get rich because the Pharaoh gave him lots of livestock and money and things like that. And then once that finds God, you know, God's kind of wise to his plan, the Pharaoh wisens up to the plan, so he kicks him out of Egypt. So, Abram, like a smart person, actually, finally, he gets it. He goes back to the beginning. He goes back to God, right? He goes to the place where he had it. He built the first altar between Bethel and Ai, so somewhere right in there, where he built the altar, and he calls on the name of the Lord there. He goes to God and asks what to do next. Smartest thing Abram's done so far. Good. Right? That's, and so that's a lesson. That's a lesson we should take. If, you, if things are going haywire... Go back to God. Because you've probably gotten too far off the mark or too far off your, your map. You need to go back to where, where, you, where you know you were. Because right? if you get lost, that's what you do. You go back to the, known, the last known position. So we get this idea, information with him that now Lot, Lot was with him and he was traveling with Abram and he also had flocks and herds and tents. Right? So we see this that in verse 5 that we see that he, you know, Lot is, is a beneficiary of everything that God gave Abram. Because Abram can't take care of it. Also, Abram splits it because Lot, and we're talking about it in a minute, but Lot is basically the closest thing that Abram has to an heir right now. You know, he doesn't have any son, they don't have any children yet, so he's sort of his adopted son. It's his nephew, right? So here's our main idea, though, before we get too far into this, is that we need to always travel with God. Always travel with God. It sounds simple. It sounds kind of silly maybe a little bit, but at the same time, we need to think that way because we are here. Right? We keep talking about we are citizens of heaven. If you're saved, you're a citizen of heaven. So we are traveling. So we should always be traveling. We are traveling this earth, so we should always be traveling with God. Keep Him. No, don't keep Him in your back pocket. Only pull off for emergencies, right? But He needs to be leading you. We're traveling with Him. He's going. We're going with Him. We're following Him. And so the first part of this is the being, being generous with our travel companions. So again, Abram and Sarai are thrown out and they go back to the beginning. And so he returns, Abram returns to the Lord his safety. And so he goes back to the beginning. And interesting enough, he's not distracted by all his money and wealth and livestock that he all of a sudden has. It's sort of like, hey, I have that, but I have God first. Now, I don't want to say God too, but it, because he's not just something you add on, but he is the first thing. And all the money and everything else he has is because of God. 
And so he, in a stroke of genius for Abram, he understands this and he, he realizes this. And so, but this repetition, right, so kind of getting into a little bit, this repetition of Abram calling on the name of the Lord here, it's an echo of the Hebrew word in, from earlier in verse 3. And so the author here is making a, a, a case basically that, look, there is a continuum between the roots of authentic worship and the practice of Abram. So they're tracing worshiping God all the way back to Abram to this, basically this point. So Abram has come back and he's like, look, he is the start of who is worshiping God. Right? So for the Hebrews... Because again, Abram is the father of, of the Hebrew nation, essentially. So they're tracing this all the way back to the beginning, the beginning of Abram's days. But as the saying goes, more money, more problems, right? That's what Abr Abram has. And so not everybody handles their wealth and blessings very well. And so Lot is with him. And he's family. And again, he's the closest thing that he has to an heir or a son. So Lot has been blessed by extension. And so Abram says, here, you know, we're going to split this essentially. I can't take care of eight billion goats and calves or whatever he has. So we'll split it. You get four billion, I get four billion, and we can, you get to learn how to manage things, and I can manage things, and we're all good. <clears throat> so here's the application part, kind of a little, a little bit up front. But we need to be generous with what God has given you. Right? You need to be generous with what God has given you. And so God showed Abram covenantal grace and blessings and Abram extends them this grace and generosity to his family he didn't just stick all the money in his chest and make people carry it around and never had to they don't get to use it or spend it you know he didn't he didn't just say take care of my stuff I'm not going to pay you he is running a business he's taking care of the people that are with him because we saw in chapter 12 that he took he got servants as well as livestock so he had all these people as long as, as well as animals with him so all these people got jobs, they were able to have meat and food and things like that. So they were taken care of because of what, how God was taking care of Abram. And so Abram's life, right, so Genesis takes place well before the writing down of the, these Proverbs that we have in, in the book of Proverbs. But they're, they're captured here and they're, they may have come out of things like this because really Proverbs are just written down wisdom. That usually it's also in the form of experience which is usually because you learned to, because you didn't know something and you did it and you figured out that was the wrong thing, so now you figured out something wise to say to your kids. You know, like, don't touch the stove because it's hot. Because why? Because I know because I touched it. Right? It's, it's called experience and not knowledge. So we try to pass on the knowledge so it doesn't become experience so they don't have to worry about it. Proverbs 22.9 says, The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. And going back to Proverbs 11, verses 24 and 25, says, One person freely gives, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. And we're going to see this kind of played out with Lot, because he doesn't sound very generous. He doesn't sound... Like he wants to really, he's just out for himself. He, he's worried about all his, his livestock and everything else. We're going to see in a few minutes that they, it causes a problem. But going all the way to the book of Deuteronomy, Abram's descendants, right, before they fully enter the land, the promised land from Egypt, they are given a choice between blessings and curses. So 
If you write this down, you don't have to turn to it right now, but if you want to look at it later, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30. I'm going to read a couple, a couple uh, passages from there. But this is important because this is kind of the setup where they've already gone and reviewed all the laws. Right? So, that, so God is making sure the, the Israelites understand what is expected of them. And he's kind of breaking it down for them. This is kind of the close-up. This is toward the end of the book. And he says, in chapter 30, or, yeah, chapter 30, verse 1, he says, When all these things happen to you, so the blessings and the curses I have set before you, and you come to your senses while you are in all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey Him with all your heart and all your soul by doing everything I am commanding you today, then He will restore your fortunes, have compassion on you, and gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. Right? So listen, so all these things, he's, He gives them a list of blessings and curses. So you can either follow God and be blessed, or you can go against God and be cursed. Right, we know end times, eschatologically, right, the end time piece of that is your blessings are, are living with God, being in heaven, being in the heaven and the new earth, when, when everything that happens. Or you are cursed to the lake of fire. Or you are cursed to be apart from God, and you are cursed to the internal, eternal torture, unfortunately. And it sounds terrible, but that's just what it is. And at the end of chapter, chapter 30 in Deuteronomy, Starting in verse 19, he says, I call heaven and earth, this is God talking, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. Love the Lord your God, obey Him, and remain faithful to Him. For He is your life. And He will prolong your days as you live in the land, you, the, live in the, land the Lord swore to give to your ancestors Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So see, we, have these, we see these lines drawn all the way through. You know, and Abram is a starting point, and then we have these lines, and people go back to that. So choosing life is the same as choosing God. To not follow God is to choose death. So Abram learned this in Egypt. God promised to protect his life, and he did. Abram forgot the promise and concocted his own plan. But Abram, at least for now, has learned by experience... That God keeps His word. Right? And so that's why he went back to thank Him in you know, verse 4 and 5. But we're going to see that while Abram understands what God has said, his nephew Lot hasn't learned that yet. And so we need to be peaceful with travel companions when, when things come up. So starting in verse 6, we see that Lot has a lot of... Lot has also a lot of flocks, herds, and tents, so they have a lot of people... And verse 6 says, The land was unable to support them as long as they stayed together. For they had so many possessions that they could not stay together. Right? So that's kind of a repetition. We see that. And so you have all these people working the fields with all the land, and so all of a sudden you have probably herds getting intermingled. It's like, hey, that's my turn at the water jar or water trough or whatever, the, the creek or river. No, it's my turn. You know, we had it scheduled. We... we we reserved the river, you know, however it worked out. No, no, it's my turn. So they started fighting. You know, the, the shepherds started fighting. And eventually, you know, they started quarreling, and eventually this problem comes up to Abram and Lot. So I'm sure that Lot's guys went and said, man, they're taking over the water, and same thing, like, they're taking over all the water. So they had to come together and figure it out. And so Abram was already generous with all the livestock and the servants, and he wants to keep the peace. He said, he's fa he said we're family. 
In verse 8, Abram said to Lot, Please let's not have quarreling between you and me, or between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, since we are relatives. Some of the versions say, since we are brothers or kin. It's all the same. They're all family. And if you've traveled to family, you know how exciting that is sometimes. Right? But the land could not sustain this. And so we see this and they could not stay together. And so it's interesting, though, that this same phrasing is later used to describe Jacob and Esau's similar situation in Genesis 20 when they, they have to separate. And that situation also explains the origin of the Edomites. The Edomites are descendants of Esau, which caused a lot of problems later for, for the Jews, the Israelites. But verse 8, going back to that, he says, Please let there not be no strife or quarreling. And so quarreling is verbal wrangling, is what one commentator said. You kind of get back into the definition. And so really what this comes down to is there's no need to fight over God's abundance. And so Abram suggests to separate because the land is big enough. He said, look, we've got enough place. We gotta, we're good enough here. We've got lots of space here. And Abram's so generous that he gives Lot the first choice. He's like, look, you, if you want to go to the right, I'll go to the left and vice versa. You, you pick. And so again, this separation sets up the future episodes of Lot fleeing to Sodom or going to Sodom and then having to flee from Sodom and having to be rescued from the destruction. But we see an interesting thing here that, that Lot lifts up his eyes by himself. He chose for himself. He didn't consult God. He didn't go pray to God and say, God, which way do you want me to go? He just said, oh, that looks pretty green over there. I'll go that way. And so he went eastward. And that's what it says over towards the Jordan Valley. He chose for himself the Jordan Valley, the Valley of Jordan, and journeyed eastward. We're going to see some more of that in a few minutes. We'll get some more details later. But here's our application for this is, is we need to be peaceful with our family members. So Abram and Lot were family. He calls him a brother. He was really nephew and uncle. They were also neighbors. And of course, like any neighborly dispute, it always comes down to property lines. This is my, I, I, you owe me two more inches to move my fence. Because that makes more sense to have to cost a whole lot more money to move my fence over two inches. But it's the principle of it, I assume. But the land was big enough, and Abram knew that he could trust God about the land and how big it was. He's like, look, this is great. But the, really the question is, is, is who is your family? Right? Who is your family? Who do you consider family? So obviously you have people in your actual family, right? by, by blood or by marriage. You know, siblings, kids, uh, aunts, uncles, you know, in-laws by the marriage, or you know, brother-in-laws and sister-in-laws and things like that. But people in the church are also your family. Other Christians who don't go to this church, but are Christians, they are also your family. And technically, if you go with the genealogies in the Bible, every other human in the, in the, in the world is technically your family. So everybody is essentially your family. We're all created by God, by God in God's image as well. So whether they are your friends or your enemies, they're still your family. They're all your neighbors. And the second commandment tells us to love your neighbor, right? That's the whole, even the Ten Commandments, there's just two big commandments. The first four deal with loving God. The other six deal with loving your neighbor. 
So we are commanded to love your neighbors yourself. And so in Luke 10, starting in verse 30, Jesus asked the question about who is your neighbor when he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Because somebody asked him, say, hey Jesus, who's my neighbor? So we, if you don't know the story, the person's walking along, gets hurt, gets beat up, robbed. Two people, two Jewish people walk by, a priest and a, and a, and a, and a, a Pharisee. They pass by and actually go to the other side of the street or the road to avoid helping or even seeing the injured person. So a Samaritan who is despised by the Jews comes by and he sees the guy down on the, on the ground hurt. He takes him to the town, however far that was, takes him to the inn, pays for his recovery, everything else, and then goes on his way. And so Jesus asked, in this situation, who is your neighbor? Right? He asked these men, which of these three men proved to really be a neighbor? And the man that Jesus is telling, telling the story to replies to Jesus, he says, the one who showed mercy toward the injured Jew. And Jesus tells him, and us by extension, right? Go and do the same. So we are to show mercy to our neighbors, and that we just talked about it. Everybody is your neighbor. So we are to show mercy to them. And it's hard to do this in this time sometimes. And again, it's easy to do it to people you know and love, but it's harder to be nice to strangers or people who are doing things for you or, or when we're in a bad mood. Or maybe they're in a bad mood and we jump on them. So it's not as easy as this looks, right? This is all you, all you have to do is be peaceful and get along. Right? We know that's the, the evil, the evil, all you have to do is statement. That means there's a lot more work involved because it's a conscious effort to be nice to everybody, especially when you don't feel like it, or especially when you think they don't deserve it. But you are not the judge of that when they are supposed to deserve it or not. Because God was graceful to us when we didn't deserve it. He could have let everything just, all of us just be done and not worry about anything because, well, hey, I'll just start over. Whatever he's going to do. But he sent Jesus to, to save us, right? Jesus was our neighbor when we didn't deserve it. Jesus picked us up. He paid for our recovery. Right? He paid for our recovery through His blood on the cross. That is what He did. He is right. The Samaritan in the, in the story is, is, I think, Him partially. Because that's what He did. So Jesus took your sin and carried it away on the cross. He was... Your sin, my sin, our sins were hung in the tree with Him. They were washed away by His blood. Unfortunately, not everybody's like, there's only one Jesus. We tried to be Christ-like, but not everybody is Christ-like. Not everybody is a Christian. So we have to be careful who we travel with and who we go with. And so the writer kind of clarifies one thing for us in verse 12 when he says, Abram settled in the land of Canaan and Lot settled in the cities, particularly Sodom, where it was known that the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinners against the Lord. Right, so he kind of gives us this little summation of what it is. And so biblical authors often appropriated Sodom and Gomorrah later as a prototype of Gentile wickedness because of its scandalous sins and calamitous end. 
Right? So that everybody kind of knew when you say Sodom, and that place is like Sodom, or Sodom and Gomorrah, you automatically know what's going on there. There's bad stuff. You know, different cities get that get this this moniker, this name stuck to them because they are acting in similar ways. And so Abram dwells in Canaan, and Lot lives in the periphery of Canaan, so he's kind of out on the edge. And so the same geographical metaphor, one commentator says, distinguishes the chosen and the rejected members of the Abram lineage. So Isaac and Ishmael, and Jacob and Esau. Right? Isaac and Jacob, they're in the middle. They live in the land. Ishmael and Esau, they are living outside it or right on the edge of it. And so we see these differences, these juxtapositions of, of, the, of the people. So put it another way, though, that Abram went to live with God and Lot went to live with the world. And so Lot was attracted to what was fleeting. He liked the, the fact, oh, there's green things over there. Let me go over that way. It must be better over there. Right? The lush, green, the land of plenty. Going back into verse 10, though, in, in Genesis 13, it says that... that uh, the land was green. So, so here what one commentator says is, verse 10 expresses the chief irony of the lead story. The lush land Lot cho chooses will be consumed by fire in chapter 19. The plain of the Jordan is likened to the well-watered garden of the Lord and like the land of Egypt, whose beauty attracted Lot, but also distracted him from the wickedness that lurked there. All right, so we see these things, and we can get attracted to these things that look nice, and you think, oh, it's totally fine that that looks better over there than whatever God's telling me to do over here. And so we get distracted by the world because we, we try to push off like, oh, that's fine. It's, I don't, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to become them. And in verses 12 and 13, though, we kind of get left on a cliffhanger. Right? Abram lived in the land of Canaan, but Lot lived in the cities on the plain and set up his tent near Sodom. And, and so... Now the men of Sodom were evil, sitting immensely against the Lord. Right? Just kind of, verse 14, after Lot had separated from him. So it's like, well, what's going to happen to Lot? Like, you need to tell me now, right? We, wa we were watching a, uh, a show, All Things Great and Small, it's on PBS. It's a pretty good show. And they, they kind of string you along with certain little storylines. And you're like, well, just tell me what's going to happen with that. Like, I don't care about that storyline right now. Just tell me. And you have to wait till towards the end of the story to be to let you know what, what happened with this 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 news of it. But verse fourteen ends up bringing us all the way back to Abram, and we hear that the Lord said to Abram, "Lift up your eyes and look. Look to the north, the south, the east, and the west. For I will give you and your offspring forever all the land that you see." Right? If if Lot would have been in tune with God. He may have directed him to go, go where he needed him to go. But Abram is here doing these things. He is following God because he went back. Remember in verse four, 3 and 4, he went to the site and he called upon the name of the Lord there. And so God gives him a means to measure or compare what he has. And when you read the rest of, you know, through up to 18, you know, God tells him, Get up, verse 17, get up and walk around the land through its length, length and breadth or width, for I will give it to you, right? So you can walk and see how much you own, right? We didn't know how much land we had out here until we put the fence up. 
Right? Because I could have thought we had the other, that other cow fence and I thought that was kind of it. And now we have all the other stuff. Now, I'm not sure how much everybody's happy to cut the grass that much, but... <clears throat> right? We have more than what we thought. It's a lot bigger. The same thing with a lot of stuff. If you take stock of what you actually have in your life, how much money you have and how much money maybe you're spending, you get a good uh, idea of what it is where your money's going or how much money you have or how much stuff you have, how many people love you, how many people are in your family. All these things because God has given you a way to measure this. He talks about the people, right? Because the whole promise is with people and land. So that's the land. So the people, he says, the people who will fill it will be too many to count, essentially. Go count all the dust, all the earth. How much dust do we have out here? You know, when you guys cut the grass, how much dust is on you? from cutting the grass. When it blows, it's all over my car as well. But you could never count the amount of dust that we have on the earth, and that's how big and how many people are going to be Abram's descendants. And so God is reiterating His covenant with Abram here in this last part of this chapter because it's important that the people who are with Abram understand that they are with God. And so here's our application of this part is that walking with God may not always be easy, but it will be rewarding. Right? Lot was lured away by the bright lights of the big city. Essentially, right? He was lured by the people, the whatever's the, the markets, the whatever's going on there. And you see, if you read ahead or you know the stories of Genesis with Lot, you see what, what kind of calamity that's going to bring on its own when we get there in the next few weeks. But Abram sticks with God, and it's not always easy, but it's going to be rewarding. So imagine all the people that went with Lot, and they don't know what's going to happen yet. Because we, we, none of us know. None of us know what's going to happen when we're walking with God or without Him. But we do know from, from what the Bible excuse me, tells us that walking with God is much better with the blessings than it is to be walking without God and get cursed. Because Lot and his people that go with him are going to experience some very bad things in the next several months or possibly several years, depending on the time spans of the, of the chapters here. They are living in a place that God is going to destroy with fire and brimstone in chapter 20. Right, that, that's a line straight out of Genesis 20, chapter 20, verse 24 and 25. Right, he destroys it with fire and brimstone. It is wiped out. I think archaeologically, I think they found places, two cities that had evidence of being destroyed by burning. And they think that's where Sodom and Gomorrah are, or were. So something happened, and it got written down, and it was destroyed by God. So, you know, there's the, you trust the people, you trust the history of the people who wrote it, that were there. But everyone who went and worked with Abram... Well, they may not have experienced life or easy life in the, in the ancient Near East. You know, I mean, there's just challenges living in the desert or living in that regions in the, you know, the B.C.s. They experienced blessings that flowed out from God in Abram's covenant, right? Their homes, for one thing, were not destroyed by God. They got to work. They got to do certain things. They were blessed by Abram. So whenever we're going away with people, we need to see who they are and what they're doing and where they're going, make sure they're not going to lead us astray. 
You know, there's nothing worse than going somewhere and ending up somewhere you don't want to be. You know, be like, oh, we're just going to stop in here for a minute. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is not what I signed up for. This is not why I'm here. You know, whatever that, whatever that is. But these people live in a fertile land and their herds can grow and they can prosper. And it's because they, follow, they were following the one person who was following the one God. And so we need to do the same. We need to make sure that we're following God. And so we need to be like Abram and say, okay, God, where do you want me to go? Is this good or bad or whatever, indifferent? So the question as we close up the sermon is, who are you following? And I phrase it that way because Jesus says we are supposed to be the salt to the world, which means we need to be in the world, right? We need to make sure we're careful. We're in the world, we're not just hidden. If they put all the salt here, it just rots. It doesn't, doesn't do anything for us, right? But if we go out, people can use it, put in their food, preserve things, things like that. We are going out and get worked into the food, get worked into the world to preserve people. Because we, because God uses us to tell others about Him. We're also to act as a light and shine the light of God's Word on, on the sins, both ours and others, so the day and we can truly see again. But are you allowing the world to take hold of you and end up in a sticky, end up a sticky clump of salt that's not good anymore? Like last week or so, I noticed it. I need to change the salt in my salt shaker because it was a big clump. I'm like, oh, I got it. It's no good anymore. All right? So we don't want to be like that. We don't want to be so we're not good anymore as a church, as a Christian. We need to keep our saltiness. And so are you faithfully following God even though we don't know how everything's going to end up? Again, we get some inside information because Lot, you know, we know Sodom and Gomorrah are going to be destroyed. We know Lot gets rescued later. So we don't know everything that's going to happen, but we know that if we follow God, we're going to have blessings. That's what's told to us. So that's the only thing we really need to be concerned with. Because Abram trusted God and God kept reassuring him with the promise of the land and children. And to his children, God promised to be their God if he would be their people. Or they would be his people, excuse me. We have the same promise and assurance of our salvation through the sacrifice and resurrection of God the Son, Jesus. And his covenant is, that, is greater than that of the one for Abram. But Abram's covenant was necessary to make the new covenant possible. And so, are you always traveling with God and godly people? And if not, is it time to change planes? And get on the right plane. Right? So, as we go out this week, think about that. Think about how, who are we traveling with? Who are you, who are you hanging out with? Who are you talking to? How are you talking to them? How are you dealing with them? Are you being generous and peaceful and being careful with them? So it's a holiday weekend, so everybody be safe this week. And uh, we will go out from here.